بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وألحقنا بعبادك الصالحين أما بعد الحمد لله with the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in tonight's taraweeh Surah An-Nisa was recited Nisa means the surah of women and in this surah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has highlighted various ahkam and rulings with regards to uh, men and women there's discussions of nikah as well as inheritance but primarily what we focus on in the short time that we do have is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights in the first verse the verse we commonly hear at the time of nikah O people اتقوا ربكم جسن في الله سبحانه وتعالى يرب الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة who has created you from one soul in other words سيدنا آدم عليه السلام being the first human being وخلق منها زوجها and the spouse of this individual was created by Allah سبحانه وتعالى from himself وبث منهما رجال كثيرا ونساء and from these two Allah سبحانه وتعالى spread out in the world many men and women so primarily we see from the text of the Qur'an that there are only two genders. And this is a matter which we cannot compromise on. There are certain things uh, in vogue nowadays which we hear about. People are confused about what gender they might be or whether they are transporting from one gender to another or they're in between or they're not sure. That needs to be addressed in the medical fraternity if a person is unsure or needs some has gender dysphoria as it was called previously a person is not sure of the of the gender but we do not perpetuate it by acknowledging it like in some countries a few weeks ago i was somewhere and in that particular country uh, they've got like more than 60 pronouns besides he and she and they've got je, 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 everything which also goes and uh, it becomes difficult to live a normal life allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights in the quran men and women have been created by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Set aside that discussion, we know that as a Muslim, this is what we believe, alhamdulillah. Secondly, in the verses that we recited, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah has favored men and women with certain responsibilities and duties, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them virtue above one another. There are certain aspects in which a man has virtue over women, and there are certain aspects in which women, they supersede and they hold a higher rank than men. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا كَسَبُوا The men, for them will be that which they earn. In other words, what, they, what their responsibility is as men given to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they do what Allah tells them to do, then as a man, they would be pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and achieving the greatest of rewards. And vice versa, the same with women. One does not require to become the other. A man doesn't have to become a woman or a woman become a man. Let us look in the beautiful legacy of Islam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us of the value of our mothers. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, If you're looking for Jannah in this dunya, besides the Rodatul Jannah in Medina Munawwara, between the, the, the member and the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you're looking, looking for your Jannah, then visualize it beneath the feet of your mother. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given our mothers our sisters and our daughters, this, this special favor. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, the person who looks after his two daughters, looks after three daughters or less, or even his two sisters, 
will be with Rasulullah like this in Jannah. To take care and look after our sisters and our daughters and our mothers is part of the teaching of Islam. You know, in Medina Munawwara, there was a Sahabi, there was a person whose name was Farrukh, and I mentioned this incident before. He gave of a Sahabi, and he got married, and after he was married, the call was made to go in the path of Allah for jihad. They needed to go and defend the borders, and there was an attack from the kuffar. So he left, and his wife was expecting. As he left, he had about 30,000 dirhams with him, and he said, I'm giving you this, keep it for you, and the baby, whatever you need, uh, you can fulfill your needs from this particular amount. This shows us when we undertake tasks, even if it be for dunya or for deen, we need to ensure that we take care of the matters and affairs at home. We do not just leave and uh, go out and say we're leaving them and trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In any case, his name was Farrukh, Abdul Rahman was his name. He went out and subsequently the demand was for him to continue further away and a long time had passed. Not 40 days as we have a chilla in Jamaat or three, three 40 days which is four months or even one year. One year passed, two years passed and he's... The, he was with his master and he now had to continue going wherever they were going and he spends his time for 27 years 27 years and now he takes permission he is freed and he's asked if he could return to Medina Munawwara now he comes to Medina Munawwara can we imagine after 27 years how different it would have been so he comes into Medina Munawwara and he's trying to find his way and he comes to the alley in which he remembers his house to be and when he comes there, he enters, he says, Assalamu alaikum, and he enters the house, and there's a young lady inside the house. And this lady starts shouting at him and chases him out, and a young man comes down and says, Old man, don't you have any shame? Do you not fear Allah? Entering somebody's house without permission is impermissible. And he says, It's my house. And the man says, No, it's my house. And the old lady comes out and she says, Abdurrahman, this is uh, your son, Rabi'ah. And Rabi'ah, this is your father, Abdul Rahman Farrukh. So they embrace one another and he realizes that that's his son's wife, his daughter-in-law. And he goes, and now he's sitting and telling his wife all his expeditions and his experiences over the years, which lands he visited, how Islam spread, how many people entered the deen of Islam due to the efforts, and she has a share in that. So they talk the whole night, and in between he says to her, you know, 30,000 dirhams was a lot of money, what happened with that money? So she just keeps quiet and doesn't respond. And uh, at the t- in Medina Munawwara, there's normally two adhans from the time of Rasulullah sallallahu one for tahajjud and one at the time of fajr. So when the adhan of fajr went, he said to his wife, why didn't you wake our son up? Because he remembered now he's got a son, 27-year-old son. And uh, she says, no, he's gone to the masjid from the first adhan already. So when he comes to the masjid, he realizes that he's late because he's in the back of the masjid. And uh, after salah, he was about to stand up and leave and he sees everybody standing up and coming forward and sitting around a scholar who was teaching the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he asked the man next to him, Mani Shaykh, who's this, uh, this scholar? So the man looks at him and says, I'm in Ahlil Madina. He looks like you're not from Madina. You must be a visitor. You must have just... He said, yeah, I was gone for a long time. And, uh... So he said, no, this is... Rabi'atul Ra'i. This is Rabi'ah, the man with the most valuable opinion. 
in terms of deen, in matters of deen. So he says, Rabi'atul Ra'i. You didn't tell me his father's name. This is his title that he's known for his intellect and his vast knowledge. But what's his father's name? So he said, Rabi'ah bin Abdul Rahman, the son of Abdul Rahman. And his father was gone in the path of Allah for many years. And we heard that somebody said that he, he came back, and, but we're not sure. He's not realizing he's the same person he's speaking to. And then he realizes that this is the status Allah had blessed his son, that he became the Imam of Medina Munawwara, teaching the scholars of... And in that gathering was people like Imam Malik ibn Anas, the fourth Imam of the four Imams. Imam Abu Hanifa was also, also benefited from Rabi'ah. So now he goes home and he is overjoyed and he tells his wife, I cannot believe that uh, this is the status Allah had blessed our family, that my son is the Imam of Medina, he is the greatest scholar of Medina. So she said, you are asking me, is it 30,000? I spent it in his education. So even behind the greatest scholar of Medina Munawwara, who is the teacher of Imam Abu Hanifa, the teacher of Imam Malik, lies the efforts of his mother, of the mother of Rabi'atul Ra'i. Which means the jurisprudence of Abu Hanifa, the jurisprudence of Malik, and the scholars of these, or the students of these scholars, whoever will practice on it, as you practice on it in your salah, whether you made ruku, you recited tasbih, we understood how it was explained by these jurists, that goes to the imam, to his teacher, to the teacher's mother. She was instrumental and she was the primary reason for him achieving what he had achieved. So this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given our mothers a very, very great status. Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, the great imam of the, of, of the four madahib, his education was also taken care of by his mother. His father passed away when he was young. And some narrations say he was, he was an orphan when he was born. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him the imam of his time. So all the knowledge goes to the mother. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given this value to our mothers. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam therefore has instructed us and this is even more important for our mothers and sisters to understand their own value. It shouldn't be that they feel that they become affected with whether it be the first wave, second wave, feminism and the wave of modernity which make people think that we need to be different other than what Rasulullah sallallahu has given us, whatever the deen has given us, we need to adjust accordingly. This should not be the case because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made you valuable as you are. Rasulullah sallallahu said, Al-mar'atu, idha sallat khamsaha, if a woman performs her five times daily salah, she didn't make extra tahajjud and extra all, all those. Wasamat shahraha, and she fast in the month of Ramadan. She didn't manage to fast Monday and Thursday and the young be of the 13th, 13th, 14th, 15th of every lunar calendar, every lunar month. وَحَفِظَتْ فَرْجَهَا And she keeps herself pure from haram. She doesn't get involved in haram relationships. وَأَطَاعَتْ زَوْجَهَا And she lives lovingly and compassionately and affectionately with her husband. قِيلَ لَهَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ It will be said to her on the day of Qiyamah. Imagine only these four things. Not extra hajj, not extra umrah, not spending on the masjid, not spending on madrasas, on just these four things. قِيلَ لَهَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ It will be said to her on the day of Qiyamah. You can enter Jannah through any one of the eight doors you wish. You choose the door of Jannah you want to enter into. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made them valuable. So these were some of the points I thought I'd just mention uh, in Surah An-Nisa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also mentioned the verses of, of inheritance. I'm not going to go much into the detail. But a very important point just to... 
seeing that we are on the, the point of inheritance, is the importance of having a will prepared before we die. Now, many times we think having a last will and testament is something exclusively the responsibility of the aged and those who are old and those who are uh, maybe terminally ill. They need to make sure that they have a will. No. In Sharia, from the time you reach the age of puberty, you need to have a will. Abdullah bin Umar says, after I heard this word, the hadith of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that two nights shouldn't pass except that you should have your will with you. I make sure that when I go to bed, I have my will beneath Abdullah bin Umar, who is the companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And sorting out one's will doesn't mean, some people misunderstand and they think that when we say you need to finalize your will, then you need to allocate who your heirs are. Okay, so this one must get this and this one. No, Sharia doesn't compel you to do that. Because in terms of Sharia, it's not even logical for you to be able to distribute the shares of your estate while you're alive. Because it's possible that those people can die before you. So you might assume that while I'm in this particular condition, I've got my parents and I've got a son and a daughter and my wife. So okay, these will be the heirs. And you, you prepare the will in that particular way. But Allah knows that it's possible that a son can pass away before the father, a daughter before the mother, the wife can pass away before the husband and vice versa. So what needs to be stipulated is that whatever I possess, so you note down what you owe and what you, uh, what, you, or what you own, and this has to be distributed according to Sharia, and you appoint a reliable scholar who is, a, who is able to assist and assist the executor of that particular that particular estate. So there's no need for you to allocate. It doesn't mean you're giving away your whole dunya. Some people are scared. They say, Moana, I'm not going to give away everything. No, nobody's saying that you should give away everything. We're saying, just note down the fact that you're not going to die without a will so that the state takes control of your affairs and then distributes it according to the law of the land, which is contrary to Sharia. So at least that much. We should note down if we're owing somebody something, who owes us so that there isn't confusion after we leave this world. Another important point, and I'll conclude, is we need to make a distinction. There is, there is an allowance in the estate for a third, which is called wasiyah, a bequest. A person can make a bequest for a non-heir, a person who is not an heir to the estate. Those people who are heirs have been stipulated in the Quran, in the hadith of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's not permissible for us in the final khutbah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He emphasized this, la wasiyyata liwarithin. That there is no wasiyyah, you cannot make a bequest for a person who's already an heir. So your sons, daughters, wife, parents, etc. Those who are already part of your estate, you cannot add a bequest of that one third for them. It can be for a non-relative. So that can go to whichever uh, direction you wish to spend it of a permissible nature. However, there's a difference between wasiyah and hiba, a gift. So if I give a friend of mine something while I'm alive, it's called hiba, it's a gift. He takes control of it, it belongs to him, there's no problem. But if I say that I'm giving you this thing when I die, you can have it, then it's not a hiba. That becomes wasiyah, it becomes part of the bequest and falls part of the estate. And that will only be part of one third of the, of the entire estate. So we need to just be careful with regards to how we handle our affairs inshallah it shouldn't be that when a person is in the qabr expecting the mercy of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there's some adab and difficulty which comes uh, in a person's grave because of the wrong will or the things that, uh, which were not allocated properly of sharia nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam even warned about 
people writing in their words previously in Jahiliya, people would say, I bequest, or this is my decree, that when I die, you should, you should allow women to come and wail and, and weep and, and give the impression that I was well-known and famous, which is called niyaha, wailing and sobbing. People used to do that in Jahiliya. So Rasulullah prohibited that, and he said, if anybody makes such a will and bequests such a thing, then he will be punished in his grave while those people are doing that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So the message for today is to value our mothers, our sisters, our wives, and our daughters. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made them the most valuable gift that we have. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made them the foundation for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And secondly, that we shouldn't go to bed tonight without ensuring, at least noting down, even if it be in your notes on your phone, that this is what I owe and this is what is owed to me. And have your will prepared and even preferably have it signed so that there are witnesses and there's no confusions or dispute after we leave this world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the understanding. We'll conclude with what we do every day inshallah reciting the shahada, istighfar, asking Allah for jannah and protection from jahannam. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, nastaghfirullah, nas'aluka al-jannata wa na'udhu bika min al-nar. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله نستغفر الله نسألك الجنة ونعوذ بك من النار نشهد أن لا إله إلا الله نستغفر الله نسألك الجنة ونعوذ بك من النار I just remind one and all to renew the intentions for the obligatory fast of tomorrow إن شاء الله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم تب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين